You're listening to High Shelf Gaming. High Shelf Gaming is a podcast where David and Rich discuss tabletop gaming. Everything from board games and role-playing games to gaming conventions. They provide reviews, strategies, tips, and house rules to enhance your gaming and convention-going experience. Hey everybody, David here with High Shelf Gaming, part of High Shelf Collective, and as always, I'm joined by the Tycarosi, Rich. Dude, do you say that because I bought Roro Tycoon at Gen Con this week? Is that, I'm Tycarosi now? <laughs> Did you see me pick that up? I take it as a compliment. I'm good. a Tycarosi. It's good. <laughs> way to get there, way to get there as best you could, Rich, I love it. Um, and joining us today, we're talking with uh, two luminaries from Evil Hat. Productions, uh, John Harper and Sean Nittner. Both of you, thank you so much for your time today. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah. Uh, now, we always like to start off a little intro. Uh, John, you've been a game developer, game designer for, for a minute. Uh, I think we met you with uh, Lasers and Feelings and Blades in the Dark and like all kinds of cool stuff. But where did you, where did like CD. young John Harper get started? Where, when you got into gaming, where where do, where do you what's your origin story there? Uh, I started in uh, 1984 ish uh, with Gamma World, um, second edition. Oh, good one, very good uh, one. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it captured me right away. Um, so I photocopied all the mutation tables out of the book at my dad's office and uh, immediately. <laughs> pulled in all my other friends who had never played role-playing games and we just started making why our own it, games why is it always like dad's copy machine at work mm-hmm. was like, yeah. a, was like, a, was like a crucial piece of equipment for all new gamers yeah, it was right. it was and <laughs> and for a while i only had i only had the mutation tables so um we started making our own games to like shore up all the missing pieces and it became this little like hobby community right away when it, you know um, oh my we God. didn't have you didn't the have books. We didn't game. play You're with like, older. I've got, this, I've got something to work on. <laughs> yeah, he started as a game designer, Dave. That's all there is to it. He started as a game. As soon as you said Gamma World, I was like, oh, my friends used to write tons of stuff for that. I mean, my friends who became writers. Yeah, by necessity, we we my little game group there expanded and expanded um, through our school, and um, we just ended up making our, all our own stuff and. Uh, then you know through the 2000s it was all the indie scene stuff and i got i got involved in that um pretty early on uh, eventually doing uh doing my own my own things as you know self-published uh, pdf stuff and then partnering up with evil hat with blades yeah that's really incredible that's a, what a journey man like like you really long, didn't have a one. choice but to become a developer and a designer yeah i just yeah, keep having these serendipitous to... events happen where you know I'm, i moved to seattle in 93 and Wizards of the Coast was doing magic and doing Everway and, you know, starting out, uh, they had Talislanta at that time. And um, then the, I met someone at a game store who started the forge and, you know, um, got involved in that indie design space. And it was just all these little, little serendipitous things that just kept drawing me uh, back into gaming as a career and finally, you know, permanently landing there. That's amazing. That's really fun. And, and Sean, how about you? Like, I really met you through Aegon, which we played on this channel as well, um, and the Paragon system and all that good stuff. What, what what brought you to gaming? How did you find your way to this industry? Yeah, I think I think people have probably heard this story, but it's it's certainly worth you know re- retelling. Um, I was 
I think it was also 1984. I was 12, so uh, no, it'd be 1988, I guess. How, I don't know math. Math, yeah, 76, yeah. And, We're all the same age ish. Uh, well, I'm, I'm right. I'm right there with you guys. In terms and uh, you know, I was walking through uh, the middle school library, and I heard some guys making the talking strange voices, you know, silly voices to each other. And I was like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're playing D and D. And I said, can I join? And like, cool. You're a gnome in a sack. And I was like, yeah, there we go. And I was like, and I sat there the entire session. I don't think I did. I don't think I actively did anything. I think I made a listen check or I'm sure it wasn't a listen check, but I think I listened in on something happening because no one knew that there was a gnome in the sack. And I got like left the bag behind and then you got to listen. in on Yeah. Like I, I, like I wasn't even trying to be a spy, but like, that's just sort of, what ended up happening. And, and then I feel like super excited that I got to tell the people who had been carrying me around in a sack what had happened while they weren't there. And, you know, and that, uh, you know, that the, the rest is history, right? Like I was playing, I was making my half elf ranger the day after that. Right. You know, um, as we do. Yeah. Uh, and then another one up. I know. See, okay, look, look, I Rich and I have a running tally. tally of who all started with D and D and who all started with anything but D and D. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny because even though I started with D&D, we immediately, immediately were playing other systems like uh, TMNT, uh, Mythos, Battle of the 23rd Century, oh, all the fucking stuff, like Rifts, and oh, not yeah. Rifts, like Rifts was always the game you made characters for and never played. Like, right, played yeah, you have a binder nice. full of characters that are but yeah, I had like ungodly powerful. Boys because, you know. TMNT played that. Oh yeah, we played so yeah. much DMT. It was just... I took it took us a long time to play D actually. And we, we played Marvel Superheroes and ah, yes. um, Car Wars and GURPS and oh, uh, yeah. Talislanta. Top um, Secret was a big one. Called for us. Cthulhu before I played D even. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. All right, fair enough. I, I I'm so, still gonna give I'm still gonna give Rich two on that one because your very <laughs> it does first count. game. But it is it is very first game. Yeah, I can't yeah. I can't say it wasn't D, but it just wasn't the dominant force that I think uh, sort of revisionist history makes it out to be. Like right. we think of D and D as like it was the found, it was the first. Yeah, it was the maybe it was the first, sure, but it very very soon had company, and right. everybody oh, yeah. was just making weird stuff. And there were no, it was the wild west of design, right? Nobody had any. There was no structures in place to say this is what a role playing game must do or could or can't do. So I think it was a very interesting time of uh, you know to experience games so um and then professionally i got started i was listening to uh, have games will travel an excellent uh, podcast by paul tevis and he was talking about dogs in the vineyard and polaris and all these really super cool indie games so i started checking out the forge and playing some of these games with my local group and i remember i made this one live journal post about playing a driver and like was it cool if i like leapt off the or no, a Battle Babe. I don't remember. One of the Apostles World Playbooks is like, yeah. is it cool if I leapt off the back of a bike onto a semi to take it over? And like, and uh, and somebody wrote in the comments, yeah, yeah, I, I, in my Apocalypse World game, that is 100% uh, action under fire right there. And that that, uh, that someone was John Herper. And, um, and uh, it was, uh, you know, I was writing a lot of actual play, and I just kind of like, I just kind of like stumbled into working with a publisher because I was doing a lot of publisher adjacent work. You know, I was putting out a podcast of my own narrative control and I was going to a lot of conventions and like interviewing people 
And uh, eventually I bumped into Lenny Balsera and we were both working on a Las Vegas version of the Dresden, a Las Vegas setting for the Dresden Files. And so we sort of combined our efforts on that. Oh, that's and, cool. And then that sort of turned into an evil hat thing. And yeah, voila. Yeah. Is it, so is that kind of where evil hat came from or was evil hat predating that effort? Evil hat predates that by a, a, several years. It started with Fred and Rob uh, taking a lot of, a lot from Amber, a Dyson system and, oh, yeah. Fred, and sort of matching them together the and man. creating the, very early fate games that the first one uh that's well known at least the first one was published the spirit of the century and that was a little bit of a proof of concept for dresden files um fred and jim knew each other and so they already had some sort of agreement about making a fate version of dresden files rpg but it needed some you know it really needed to have the uh, uh to be tested out fully so spirit of the century was a unlicensed, you know, it's a, a brand new IP that they created to, to really get a sense of it. And mm-hmm. if you look at Spirit of the Century, there's things like you can take up to 10 consequences, which means characters <laughs> never get taken out. It's like, it's, you know, it's got great bones, but there's some dials that definitely needed to be turned. And, yeah. Yeah. And you don't see that stuff until you've seen it played through a few, yeah. few times. You're like, oh wait, no, these characters never die. Whereas like, I remember in my like, blades game i was kind of constantly worried about well one bad job that if the dice go against me a few too many times i'm i'm probably done <laughs> yes so, yeah so like the risk of the risk of losing a character is like very important to me right like i love games where there's some risk of you know losing the character or losing notoriety like an egg on and that kind of stuff so it, clearly the two of you have put a lot of effort into like p- making games with stakes uh, which something I really appreciate. I think games of stakes are really important. I think that character life survival is is one. But one thing I always try to look for, and I feel like we I, this is one of the things I'm proudest about with Agon, was that in the battle mechanic, uh, one of the things you're doing is in the second phase, the battle mechanic and the defend phase, the GM doesn't have to roll, or, or the strife player doesn't have to roll. They just say like. The Serpent of Nemos is going to, like, crush the, like, it erupt out of the ground, and this tower's going to fall over, and all these people are going to die. And the priestess that you really, you remember that priestess you formed a really great relationship with? Like, her life's in peril right now. Right. And so we, I think, are able to uh, put stakes. The stakes can also be, like, people will think you're rapscallions, and they'll curse you till the day they die, right? You can put interesting things at stake, Um but I do, I do love having stakes. I do love having things really on the line. Yeah, no, I think that yeah, it's a good point because like in Aegon, like the only way to, that I know of to die is to be like, I'm going to sacrifice my character in order to like overcome this failure and we're going to win, but I'm going to kill my character in the process. And that's going to be how they're like heroically remembered, right? And for mm-hmm. those who don't know, Aegon is a game about like heroic action as you're like, part of a part of a pantheon of gods or, or children of gods and uh your job really in the game is to be the most glorious of all of your friends you all have to try and win but who's the most glorious every single role also matters a lot and that's its own kind of fun stakes right like i never played a uh what is it like a competitive rpg before Aegon, and i want to say that Aegon was was it really kind of changed some stuff for me in terms of like, oh yeah, there is something that you could compete for 
without it like destroying the table. Yeah. Right. Because usually that's the you're key part. Yeah. It's the the first edition definitely was more competitive and was more of a kind of uh, fighty game amongst all the players and the GM, and had a lot of mechanisms in it to mechanically and and mathematically kind of create a level playing field. Um, and it was an interesting game in its own right, uh, and it had its adherents and fans. But when we came to do the second edition, uh, we realized pretty quickly that neither Sean nor I was very interested in that kind of competitive RPG anymore. Not that that's a bad thing to play. It just, as designers, we we kind of had done it, and we're like, well, maybe there's another, there's this third path that isn't fully what you expect from a party of PCs in a game and is also not fully like mathematically equalized co competition, but there's this middle ground where you're kind of showboating and you're you're having these opportunities to steal the spotlight and that kind of thing, as as the 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 coopetition component. And uh, it took a long time to dial that in, but when we finally nailed it, it 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 felt really good to find that. And and our consultants that were our sort of experts on the Odyssey and the you know original source material. Um, when they played with us and we hit that dialed-in point, they all went, "Yes, this is it. This is how it's supposed to feel. This is this is hitting that tone um, of of the old stories." And so that was that was very gratifying to find. That's so. I just to ask the question, like, how long did it take to really get that figured out? Because that it, that is the like that moment when the first roll happens and you're like, you've won, but you weren't greatest. Right when you've like succeeded but not better than somebody else, and it starts to dawn on you that oh, I I'm competing against my fellow crewmates here. Um, that was such a like seminal moment for me as a gamer. How yeah? How many iterations? How many effort? Like how much effort did it take to really find that <laughs> that sweet spot? There were a lot of iterations. Uh, I I I can't remember. I think Sean remembers a number, but um, uh, more than a dozen for sure. Um, yeah, uh, and. The, I think it was Sean. We always we can never remember specifically who thought of what, but um, the thing that after we went through all these iterations of getting that contest in Agon for listeners who don't know, um, contests are decided by one roll. Everyone rolls together. Uh, you have your individual totals that you compare against the strife player, um, and it resolves the whole thing. This this what's ever at stake. It's all done in one and done. Um, and you roll before you describe, which is really you roll cool. before you describe, yeah. And that's that that was a thing that we had to get, we had to find through iterations because the procedure of everyone rolling and then making choices of how, what resources to burn to try to win, and when do you describe what you did, and when do you say that you're spending your resource, and all of that business got pretty complicated when you only had three or four players. It was still like a bit hitchy of who was talking when and everything. So I remember Sean coming up with this idea of having everyone just take care of their dice pool by themselves, take off their divine favor, you know, you know, and just do the business of their mechanics by themselves with their character sheet. Then say, I, Swiffler to Drostos, will join this contest. So you know you're, we all know who's rolling. Then we all roll, and then we're ranked from who did the worst to who did the best. And uh, among the people who beat the Strife player, whoever rolls the highest is the greatest for that contest. And then the real, the thing that really unlocked the tone here is um, the narrations start with the heroes who suffered, who rolled the lowest. They start their description. How does your character fall short? Why do they fall short? Right. Is it their own failure of, of resolve? Is it a 
physical impediment? Is it because the gods, you know, swipe aside your sword at the last moment? You get to describe all of that, why you failed, um, up to the characters who succeeded. And like you were talking about, um, when you're second best, you know, you're like, I did it, I did it, but I don't get to narrate last. Right. The person who's greatest gets to be the person who finishes off the narration. And so we discovered that tonally that was just the perfect little, little like gift to the winner to get to go, ha, 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 yes, now that you've all described, now I'm going to come out and go over the, even further over the top wow. or narrate some even grander thing or the Sean's favorite thing, which is uh, when he's greatest will sometimes like be like, oh, because you did that move against the snake and you helped me here and because of my, my best friend so-and-so, I have the strength to do it. And so it becomes this like you know, Captain America, T Avengers team up thing where it, it, it is glorifying everyone else. So that's really cool. Yeah. It is yeah. really delight to see the variation. Some people are like, some people will play it very much like, yeah, but all your efforts, would, you know, were, were not as great as mine. And <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen that. Like, push that's off. a mood. That, that's um, a method. <laughs> it's, it's a method. But yeah, as, as John said, like, I do love, figure out ways. I feel like Agon really encourages you to const because of the support and the bond mechanic. Um, yeah. It's very easy to be like, uh, you know, I, uh, listeners won't be able to see this, but I'm like holding a die out in front of me right now. Like I have a, 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 a die from, you know, swift footed Adrastos. Right. And like, I remember when he told me this thing or showed me this thing or helped me this way, or right now he throws me the rope, you know? And, uh, because each of the dice usually represents something very concrete. This is my name. This is my epithet. This is my domain. Uh, they encourage the the description of it, and people will build in those things. Like, oh, well, I had this boon from you know Ares. So if I'm using my giant D12 Ares die, I'm 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 certainly gonna say how you know. Uh, the Lord, uh, you know, arms battle come comes to my aid, right? You know, I'm gonna. Yeah, it kind of helps with the uh, the Mad Libs effort, right? Like, I've got to describe this thing. Oh, I have all <laughs> these things I can pull from. I have the other players and their actions. I have my own stuff that I incorporate in the die. So that that felt really good. And the other piece that was really nice for me is even when I lost or when I had strife, I could, or I suffered, I, I should say, even when I suffered, I had some narrative control over that. So it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you lost, but you get to decide how you lost and what your character went through. And like, they bravely like did this thing that saved somebody's life. And that's the reason why they couldn't go any further in the adventure or whatever, you know, you could come up with some like honor amongst loss. And that really made it feel a lot better whenever I was like way down in the dregs in terms of suffering, <laughs> you know, like really, yeah. really interesting approach there that I haven't seen in another game. And I just kudos to you guys to really putting a lot of homework into finding that that moment there's an old rpg internet uh uh saying from you know many decades ago that uh you know gm t tips and tricks kind of thing like um ask the player to describe their failure um was always this this tip because um players will often inflict things on their own characters that you as a GM might never do. <laughs> um, and some players really relish in that, like feeling like the Rocky character who just keeps getting back up and keeps getting beat. And it's just, uh, just like, it's very satisfying for them to do that. And even if they want it, a GM who's constantly saying that can seem like they're bullying you almost. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, we found that um, 
taking that old bit of uh, RPG advice and sort of canonizing it as a mechanic. Um, it had those those effects that that we hoped it would, and yeah. give give players that 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 uh, that relish that um, yeah. a, a chance to do it. And, and from my perspective, you know, Indiana Jones, Sarah Connor, John McClane, they all pretty much fail every role that they're in until the end, right? right. Like they, they're all generally getting their asses kicked the entire movie, um, and then they kind of pull something out at the end, and that is a that's absolute. Like you could just suffer throughout. Agon and right. and and describe yourself and still be that cool, right? Like you don't think of any of those people as incompetent or anything but amazing, you know, action heroes, right? Right. But they You're do Agon fail a lot. You're absolutely be, right. Can yeah, be the, can be the same. Yeah. And the other piece, uh, just to talk one more thing about Agon that I really appreciate is the like between between islands mechanic of the stars and the downtime mechanics and Agon. Um, that ability to take a breath between things and like get to know the other players or the the other NPCs, get to know like our relationships with the gods and all of that kind of stuff, and then like just boost the group um, through some roles, like deciding who's the next leader and all of that kind of stuff. All of that kind of downtime mechanic stuff. I don't think a lot of games spend much time on downtime, whereas like we're going to pivot from here into Blades because Blades spends a lot of time on downtime too. But like the Aegon downtime mechanics are really, really nice. I'm kind of curious how you all, how the two of you came to that as the method to talk about what happens to this boat between islands. I think uh, one thing you'll see as a through line in John Harper games is that healing is never boring. So the very <laughs> first John game I ever played was Lady Blackbird, where you have a reserve pool that you can spend in addition to your traits and that pool gets diminished as you as you use it. And the only way to replenish that pool, which is essentially, the, you can have conditions, but like that pool is really your hit points. Rat, rat. The only way to replenish that is to have a scene where you talk to another character and like find out about their life or share something about yourself, and you and you recover. You know, if you look at recovery and in blades, indulging vice is is very interesting. It has it can it can uh, it can have they have deleterious effects and whatnot. So I, I feel like John has captured this notion that rolling a D8 plus your level is not an interesting, in and of itself, is, is, is not an interesting healing mechanic. Right. And, but in movies and in books and in various media, there's lots of great scenes at bedside tables. So there's lots of great scenes as people are like wrapping their wound up, you know, on the edge of the battlefield. Like those scenes have a place in our stories but yes. most healing mechanics don't evoke them. And I think John has just always done a fantastic job of evoking them by turning them into an activity. Like the mm. healing is kind of ancillary to the activity you're doing. And it's like, you know, uh, watching like Law and Order where they're always like giving the, con like they're always like telling them about the, the criminal while they're making a hot dog, you know, like you're always kind of, you're, 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 you're uh, rich rolling in this sense. Like you're getting a two for one here where you're describing what you're doing and how you're connecting and mechanically getting this like annual suit recover. So that, that was something that was in first edition as well. It, mm -hmm. you know, people would pitch contests and the people would wrestle or orate or sing and they would recover in that way. And so we really wanted to carry that forward, but we also knew that doing it any time didn't, it kind of messed up the rhythm of the game. We really wanted a single Island to be one session where you, you, 
we didn't have a lot of breaks. You got through an island in a session for, for good or ill, right. and then you moved on to the next one. And so a lot of those downtime mechanics came at the level. Well, if we only want it to be once, and there's strife on every island, but there's not while you're at sea, we just kind of like uh, – the marbles all just sort of funneled into that. Oh, well, of course, while we're on the boat between islands, that's where we'll do all of these things. Yeah. And we had to address divine favor. We had to address pathos. And so all of those things uh, came out of out Yeah, of how to get your resources back and how to get ready for the next one. Yeah. And you how really to can't do that while you're and... fighting for your life on an island. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. As much as like having a cavorting on the island is fun, you can still do that. Uh, has some good parties, by the way. Uh, you could still do that uh, without it being a whole downtime scene. So we really wanted that to. And speaking of Indiana Jones, from from before, uh, in hindsight, after we made second edition, um, rewatching Raiders for the millionth time, um, the voyage phase of the movie, uh, when Marion and Indy end up on the ship uh, with Captain Katanga, um, and they have their incredible recovery scene together with one of the great improvised movie lines of all time. Uh, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Um, and, you know, her tending to him and him being a big crybaby and, you know, she's dabbing his cuts and stuff. And, and that's a recovery scene, but it's just a great character beat, too. Yep. Um, and uh, happens to be on a voyage, which is funny, um, thinking about it in hindsight now. But <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that's, that. That's, that's kind of, that's, that's what we're after. That's what we're aiming yeah. for. Who among us has not said, I need a kiss here? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hurt. Please, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, in our blades game, I was the party medic, and I took full advantage of every single one of those scenes to just do whatever I could to remind everybody that they were getting yeah. tended to by attack erosi, and um, <laughs> like that was always lots of fun. Bring, like, bring your weird. Uh, yeah, exactly. Bring those bring those scenes to life for sure. Um, before we leave Aegon, though, I do want to talk a little bit about the Paragon system. Yeah. Because you all have this kind of additional thing you're doing with Aegon for like allowing people to license content, create content for Aegon. Like I'm really excited about playing um, the like space uh, space combat one where you're like dogfighting in space because like Very good. God Battlestar and uh, Deep Space Nine are some of my favorite properties, and like I just oh, I just. Yeah. I just want to be one of those space pilots. So like, uh, that's going to be my next request for our Aegon specialist to run, run us through that game. But can you guys talk a little bit about like the Paragon system and how people can get involved and, and what that, what that looks like for anybody who's listening? Yeah. Yeah. If you go to agon rpg.com, uh, you'll find the kind of one of the pages and also an evil hat. There's an Agon page that will connect to all this. Um, and it gives a brief little summary there. But the idea is that um, Agon is a little slim game book. There's not much to it. Um, and during its development, uh, we discovered that um, hacking it and making a, a playset in a different setting was fairly straightforward to do. Um, unlike, uh, let's say, uh, Forge in the Dark game, which is often kind of a, a bigger undertaking. Um, so Sean and I talked about it and decided that... Uh, we should offer a sort of a different setup than than we had with Blades and its and its SRD and give people the opportunity to make little six ten page um, playsets that would only kind of list what's different uh, about uh, their playset from the core Agon game and then give you 
adventures modules, island style, uh, little one pagers, um, all dressed up in a different um, kind of setting, different different uh, premise, different situation. Yeah, it's so. it's pretty neat because you all have like attracted a lot of really creative groups coming to Aegon as their system of choice for the setting that they've been working on. So, you- yeah, it it helped it, like. It, it, it helps that it is easy to make them um, at, at some level, and so our our kind of gamble paid off. We we thought, let's see if we make something that's easier to make than a Forge in the Dark hack. Will people do it? And the answer has been <laughs> resoundingly yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there's been there's a bunch of cool ones, um, and we we try to keep the Agon website page there updated with links to the Paragon sets. I think I'm like four behind right now. I've got to, I've got to update it. Uh, by the time this uh, podcast comes out, it should be updated. <laughs> yeah, but there'll People be new have such beautiful ideas, and it's really great that they can just have a base to work off of and, yeah. and bring those ideas to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, it helps the Agon itself is a very uh, streamlined system. There is not, you know, the core of the game is a conflict system, which has mechanics you can describe on one page. And so uh, there's a lot more, you know, if you take the character sheet, the combat system and the, the you know, the GM guidelines of ask, reveal, and judge, uh, it's not, those things are all malleable enough that, you, that it's not hard to, to mold them to your, to your setting. And again, it's without having to then, okay, well, now I have to take this whole section and tailor it to mine. No, you just say, here's the changes, go to town. And there have been some very very cool changes that go really break the premise um and really uh, people are i'm just i'm itching to play odyssey aquatica right now like it's on my (laughs) next list because i love life aquatica and i love i love ocean i love boats i love diving all that stuff just just calls to me and it's cool and of course undersea adventures like must go yeah yeah yeah, absolutely absolutely one of the things I've noticed, Evil Hat generally has put a lot of effort into like Roll20 assets through compendiums and all of that kind of stuff. That has really helped us get on board with Blades and with Aegon, right? The, the two of them have so many assets in Roll20. It's really, really cool. Can Were, were both of you involved in that? Like, how did that come to pass? And, and what is the kind of like conceit there like what is the gamble when it comes to like putting together digital assets for one of the vtts it's uh i think it's really a leapfrog of technologies that happen john did you work with jacob originally to make the roll 20 sheet or did he sort of do that on his own oh god the blade sheet in roll 20 is for so blades in the dark good. yeah yeah um uh one of the fans came up with that uh, for roll 20 and once i saw it was possible on roll 20 i supported that effort as much as I could. I'm, I'm a middling kind of CSS programmer. So, you know, I jumped in and kind of did a little bit, but mostly it was other people who made that sheet just sing. And they kept adding my uh, wild suggestions. You know, I was like, I want everything wow. to be editable. So they, they, they did all that. Um, but once that was up and, and showed kind of this promise of a somewhat more procedurally uh, detailed game like Blades, you can do. You can click through it in a in a sensible way on on a VTT. Um, yeah, I was really amazed to see on my GM side because I only played that the factions had their own character sheet. The crew's character sheet was well was well done. Each player's character sheet was well done. I mean that that really opened my mind up to like what is possible in World Twenty. Because before then, I'd used it as like 
I don't know, a character sheet thing and it was okay. Yeah. Right. But, but that sheet that was put together for blades. And then later on, I think Sean, you put a lot of effort into the Aegon stuff. At least your name is on a lot of it. Um, it's, uh, it's just it's just amazing to see what can be done in that VTT, and it's really cool to see Evil Hat have so many good supporting assets for your games. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's you can think sort of two things for that. One was that early success with Blades really got Evil Hat on. The, we didn't develop that character sheet. We have now taken stewardship over it, but um, but. But it's and, and in so much that we use it in our modules and in, in the Blades module, which has the city map, has the Dustfall map, and all the factions and all that stuff. But it was the combination of seeing people's incredible excitement in that and a global pandemic that forced people all to be inside. Um, I know that you, I was walking to that question next about how did that timeize with the pandemic? The, the yeah, pandemic. We, so when when COVID hit. Uh, several things happened to us uh, all at once. One of them was that our uh, distributor shut down for three months, three and a half. So we could literally ship no physical books. We were, I remember that. We had, a, we had a charity going on, and it was like, oh, okay, we can do digital. It's fine because you, yeah. you all have also supported us a lot in our charity efforts. Wow. So just to yeah. say thank you real quick. And we felt the pain of that too, just as, yeah. uh, just as, an, as an anchor. It was, it was, we literally had books being printed – that were going to arrive to a warehouse that was closed. We didn't know what we we're going to have. Five thousand copies of a book show up on a pallet in an empty parking lot. So that was that was an interesting. Those were interesting times. Um, so that's scary. That's it really was, scary. It was scary. It, it was scary. And so we just shut down our web store, and anything that was already in distribution could go out. And after that, it was all digital sales. And so that was the point. And so you combine an inability to sell physical products. And we're all at home. We're all trying to acclimate to this new world. We all still want to connect. And a lot of folks were looking to VTTs as a way to do that, you know, gaming online. It's something that John and I had both done plenty previously, but it was really ramped up. And Roll20 has publisher support. You know, there is um, there there are folks at Roll20 that work directly with us to help us develop modules, to help us market it, to help oh. us do all the stuff. And okay. so we said, hey, you know, we got a couple things right now, but we've got time, we've got energy, and we certainly need a, a channel to to be working in. So we just really doubled down. So we went from having, I think, two or three items on Roll20 for the Queen. It was really easy to implement, so we did that early on, and Channel A and a few other things, to now we've got over 100 uh, SKUs on it. And, you know, it's still not all of the Evil Hot games, but it's, it's a lot of them. Um, yeah, and we really just and it's become a Sophie Lagasse. That's her. That's her. Her evil hat job is digital content management, which includes other things besides Roll Twenty. But that's mm -hmm. probably the lion's share of her work. Yeah, it, would it be? I mean, if you don't want to answer this, it's fine. Uh, we can cut this question. But could you talk a little bit about how you settled on Roll Twenty as the VTT of choice, as opposed to like Forged or one of the other virtual tabletops that's out there? Or was Roll20 just like always, it was, you know, there was really no no other consideration because of their market presence. I think um, there was a lot that went on there. The One of them was familiarity. It was a system that we'd all used and were familiar with, knew how, knew how to use it. The other thing is we really wanted a server-side uh, tool. So um, Fantasy Grounds at the time was still, it was before the Unity engine was there. And so they were still running locally. Um uh, you know, uh, Foundry still, Foundry is like 
Oh, founder. Yeah, my apologies. I spoke earlier. Founder. It's like the the wild, wild west of like, they're doing really cool things, but it also puts a lot of onus on the person who's running the module and like keeping it up to date. And so we really wanted a tool where we weren't having to do maintenance. So we we didn't have to update our modules every, you know, time there's a new system patch. Uh, We wanted a tool that was server side run so that we didn't have to put the onus for a GM of, um, of, of, of hosting their own instance of it. We wanted a, uh, something that had free options, you know, like some of these you can only pay, some BTTs you, can, you can't get in the door without having a paid version, right, whereas right. with 20 players can have free accounts. We wanted something where you could share content with your players, and that's, that's true of a lot of them, but the idea that you can have a compendium and share it with everybody in the game and then they have the compendium is, for me, in my mind, it's like passing the book around the table. Right, like everybody yeah. gets to, to use it, um, and Roll Twenty had the largest marketplace. Right, it was a it was a real uh, easy bet to try out, and we've certainly dabbled in others. We're doing, yeah, uh, we've got an exciting one that's launching. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, later this year. Um, yeah, we've got a tiny bit in Fantasy Grounds. We've got a tiny bit in Foundry. We've what, done. What's, little, what's the thing that's coming? Can you talk about that? Yeah, coming? well, I, it's germane to the topic. John, you want to talk about what's on the horizon? Yeah, there's a new platform. Well, it exists now in its kind of pre-official launch beta state. It's called One More Multiverse. Um, and they're doing some really interesting stuff. Uh, mainly the, the, the main like differentiator there is they have a very video gamey looking world space. The sort of top-down, not top-down, kind of somewhat isometric 2D um, sprite-based pixel art world. Um, and you make your character, it's got a little like visual character creator with thousands of pieces of art in there to make your character customize everything. Um, and you sort of plop them down in this world and you WASD around and you can talk to other players. And there's oh, wow. speech balloons and there's objects you can interact with and pick up and put in your inventory. And very video gamey in that way. But when you play, you still have a GM, you still have players, and the GM is dropping the NPC down out of their notebook and they appear in the scene and they have stats and it's not automated fully the way a video game would be. It's still processed by the humans, um, but it has all those sort of VTT tools where you can roll dice in front of everyone and you can have a campaign log and you have an automatically generated wiki that updates with all of the stuff that's going on in your game. Wow. Um, yeah. And so they approached us and said, hey, we've got this sort of generic fantasy thing up and running. Um, we'd like to do Blades in the Dark. And we said, okay. Uh, we had some good meetings with them. They're really cool people, great developers, yeah. great, great folks. And they took it upon themselves to create all of Duskwall in the in their thing. So every district, streets, marketplaces, wow. NPCs, they fully oh like illustrated like That's buildings amazing. in various. So you're places. really just walking down the street with your little 2D character kind yeah. of Zelda. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I think of Zelda when I think of this. You know, I, very, I kinda... yeah, that's a good that's a good oh, analogy. Man. Yeah. Um, did, did any of y'all ever play like Neverwinter Nights? They had this yeah. like GM yeah. mode where yeah. you could yeah. like, oh my god, that's so cool! I've always wanted similar. that to come back. It's very yeah. similar to that, but it's all bespoke. Like when you go into the Blade sort of portal, everything is designed to look like the Blade's art style, the book design. You know, the character sheets have the little blade shaped stress things that you that you tick and. Um, they've been really sensitive to all of our kind of aesthetic choices. And then also we've been putting through it through the paces in terms of exactly how, you you know, when you prosecute a role, like what are you clicking? What is it showing people? What is it not showing? All this kind of stuff. And they're doing an incredible job. And Sean and I got to play test uh, a few weeks ago and like 
plop our characters down and walk around in night market and um, <laughs> steal candles off shopkeepers' tables and stuff. And nice. Um, That's it's, so cool. It's, it's yeah. got a lot of uh, a solo player experience as well that I think is delightful. I mean, I think anybody who is like, Played like they you've played a session two of Blades and you're like, oh, I want to know more about it. Can dive into the book and go like, wow, because John includes just so many evocative, delightful tidbits. Just like yeah. one or two sentence lines about a character or about a location, and they're right. just they're you know the, the 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 game has all these charts for like uh, for possible scores for each crew type. Like here's things here's here's things smugglers could do, but. In truth, there are hundreds more just littered throughout the book. There's so many things you're like, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool to rip that person off or like figure out what they're doing? And this uh, this iteration is really dove deep into that lore element where you can move around and click on things and read little blurbs from the book that so cool. I think, you know, a, a, some kind of player will just read the book front to back. Um, some players will dive in and look and do searches for just things that they're interested in. But this is another approach, which is like I'm walking through the docks and I see this location and I click on it and there's like a little bit of lore about it. And like suddenly there's an NPC and it's uh, I mean, inevitably and as they should, GMs are going to be adding tons more to this. But it gives a like it makes the game, it makes the experience, I think, fun in a way that you wouldn't think a normal VTT would be in that you could literally just walk your character around and like check stuff out in between sessions and have a blast doing it. And that and it, it really lets it make your own too. Cause once you, once you start that as, as the GM or the play group, it creates your own instance of Duskfall. So when you go in and change like, Oh no, Flint, the spirit tracker trafficker, he has these other qualities. It just updates everything across every instance of that character, every wiki entry, wow. every, everything. Yeah. Um, so you, you can slowly build your own kind of custom thing and you get, as the GM, you can go in and hide that note under the table in my night market. And when between sessions, if players are just walking around, poking at stuff, they can find it and add it to their inventory and get a lead. And because all the roles are shared in your local instance campaign log, you can play, you could potentially play solo. And then next week say, Hey GM, go and check the log. I did some roles to gather information (laughs) about this and i got a five what did i get you know oh my god Um, it's it's so incredible play by posty model that i don't think uh i I, that i don't always you know that that i think it supports in a way better than than really anything else i've ever ever seen so it's super cool we're looking forward to the launch later this year and it's gonna be it's that's awesome yeah Yeah, it's so neat okay i i want to be sensitive to our time all 2022 by the way it's right around the corner. I, yeah. I wanted to say, I know Sean has a hard out, and I know we haven't really talked about Blades much yet, so yeah. if, if you got to eject Sean, I can stay if we want to do that. I, I That's fine. I have more time okay. to talk, but, or, or we can just wrap it up, whatever you've got. Yeah, I think that um, actually it would be helpful to me if we went ahead and, and kept it. I can hear my family is, uh, <laughs> is doing their okay, thing. Cool. Um, so maybe if, if it's at all possible, maybe in a future date, we can do like a Blade-centric thing, if that's okay with you, John. Okay. Totally fine. Yep. Okay, yep. cool. So I think the way I'd like us to talk about, kind of wrap up our time together, if we can talk a little bit about how to find you guys, how to find these exciting programs that you've been talking about with the uh, multiverse and with Blades and Aegon, just to get to know how people can find you all. I'll start with you, John. Uh, you can find me. <laughs> I'll do another take. You can find me on Twitter at John underscore Harper. That's kind of my main social media uh, space. Um, feel free to 
hit me up there, ask questions, comment, whatever. Um, my main thing I do on Twitter these days is kind of promote uh, cool games and Kickstarters that I, I'm into. So if you want to get uh, uh, clued into cool RPG stuff, you can follow me for that. Um, and uh, I also have an itch page. Uh, it's just johnharper.itch.io. Um, and the digital stuff uh, for my games is, is mostly living there now. Um, although uh, Evil Hat still uh, has their amazing um, digital uh, program. So if you buy physical books from them, you get the PDFs uh, through, through their uh, outlet there. So that's that's Which is so wonderful. Yeah. The, the physical plus digital thing is like game changing for my crew. It, it's it's one nice. of my favorite things. And I love that it's it remained uh, like a hallmark of the Evil Hat brand. So um, I'm happy to, happy to be involved in that. Yeah, and uh, for me, you can find me similarly, uh, Twitter mostly, uh, at Sean Nittner. I'm, I don't know what I'm posting these days. But, you know, updates about Evil Hat, updates about Big Bad Con, um, occasionally random cute pictures of my dog. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and never and you also run like actual, like twitch.tv slash actual play, right? Like do, that's your, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good get. Good get. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. I it's amazing to me how often uh, the most obvious names are sitting out there. Narrative control was not taken when I wanted to podcast. Uh, actual play was 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 available. You know, just wow. just grab the thing that is the thing you're doing. Uh, I don't know. It, it's it's my it's it's my uh, my feeling about it. And uh, so you can find me there. The Evil Hat site has, if you go to the project status update, I update that every Wednesday, and that's got all the dozen plus games that we're working on and I try to put updates to all those and I also tweet those as well um, and so that's a great place to find out about everything that we're working on uh, and yeah I think that's it if you want to check out Multiverse it's uh, multiverse.com slash blades there's not much to do right now because it hasn't come out but you can kind of get a little teaser for it and it's very neat and if you want to see all of the Subscribe for more, and you know, yeah, subscribe yeah, to the yeah, newsletter, yeah. whatever it is that's there. All, all that, I think, yeah. And you can sign up for the uh, beta testing, even possibly. Yeah. There, I think. Yeah, oh, that's exactly. cool. And yeah. and if a Discord server, you can join that. And if you want to look at our Roll Twenty implementations, if you go to the Evil Hat site, uh, right under RPGs, there's like find us also on Drive Through Roll Twenty itch. Click on that Roll Twenty link; it'll take you to our publisher page on Roll Twenty. And yeah, we've got lots and lots there. Blades, Agon, Scum of Villainy, Band of Blades. Months of the week, all kinds of stuff there. Yeah, all all really good stuff in there for sure. Yeah, I, thank you both so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, and folks at home who've been listening, thanks a ton for tuning in. As always, have fun and play well. May Take all care. your roles be crits. Thanks for listening. If you like our style, please subscribe or rate, like the podcast within your app. It helps fellow listeners find us. We really appreciate it. So thank you. To join the community, you can find us on Twitter and Discord, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. Super easy to get connected and join the fun. This episode is copyrighted by High Shelf Gaming LLC and is not cleared for broadcast or syndication without written approval. The music was provided by Lil Funky on YouTube and our web presence is managed by Amy Nelson. Take care, friends.